Welcome to an inspirational message from Creekwood Church. We hope that you have an encounter with God and discover practical ways to help you live a life of purpose. What's up, 11 o'clock service? How are we doing? Doing good? Doing all right? Man, I'm so glad you're here. I am such a firm believer that you are in that seat for a reason, for a purpose, and I'm so excited to see what that's about today. Um, If I have not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Sarah Baker. I'm not the lead pastor, but I am the creative pastor. And uh, man, I have a real privilege of getting to oversee um, some amazing people in our creative department, Uh, people who are over uh, tech here, people who are over design, uh, worship, and communications. We just have an incredible bunch um, who use a lot of their gifts and talents to help us create um, really meaningful and engaging environments for people to experience God. Um, So can we just brag on them um, this morning? I'm telling you, you get to see a lot of their faces up here on a weekend, but there's so many more who do so much, and I'm so grateful for my team. Um, Man, we are right in the middle of a series called Fix Your Eyes, and uh, if you weren't here last weekend, Pastor Pastor Kendall kicked us off in a really really amazing way, and he just uh, painted uh, a really great picture of our uh, key text for this series, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Um, just broke it down, I mean, scripture by scripture. If you didn't get to hear it, make sure that you uh, get online, listen to that message, because I'm telling you, uh, it'll definitely impact your life, because he ended this message asking us all a really great question. And he he had all of us ask ourselves, what are you actually fixing your eyes on right now? Right? Like what's getting your your attention, your focus right now? And he even went into talking about, um, man, what's at stake for us when we don't fix our eyes on Jesus? Right? Like what's on the line for us when we, when we, uh, when we don't? And today I want to talk about what God can do in and through us when we, man, when we finally take our eyes off of ourselves, when we finally take our eyes off of our own fears, off of our own limitations, maybe off of our past, and we actually fix our eyes on Jesus, right? We, we fix our eyes and we become about what Jesus was about, And I really believe that when we start doing that, man, we can get in this race that God's called us to and we can run wholeheartedly. So I wanna give us a little refresh of this key text for our series. It's in Hebrews 12, one and two. This is what it says. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us run with perseverance. And let us fix our eyes. This is the life that God has called all of us to. Can we pray before we continue any further? God, we are so grateful for your presence. You're here with us now. God, I thank you so much that you know every name in this room. You know every heart. You know every need. And God, I ask today, um, Lord, that you would just speak through me. God, because nobody's here to hear from me. We want to hear from you. Because you're the only one who can change us. You're the only one who can transform our hearts and makes us new. So God, I ask that you would come and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, it's 2019. 
right? We're, uh, we're about three weeks in now, and I'm on a diet. And <laughs> this is new for me. Um, but, okay, so I don't need any mamas coming after, just like, baby, no, no. Um, because here's the thing. I am going to turn 32 this year. And I need to, like, really start thinking about what goes into my body. You know what I mean? Because this is the only one that I have for the rest of my life. I should attempt to take care of it, I think. Um, But I know um, when you're on a diet or you're on, like, a wellness journey, you know, that's what we're going to call it because it sounds better. So when you're on this journey, um, you're supposed to drink a lot of water, you know? And I'm... um, that's just a real weakness of mine, but I can drink a lot of coffee. Like I can definitely do that. Amen. Exactly. (laughs) It's a necessity for us. And I mean, if you're up here at all, the Creekwood um, building during the week, during our office hours, man, we have coffee available at any time of the day. You know what I'm talking about? It is readily available. 9 a.m., we got to be human somehow. You know what I'm saying? 4 p.m., you can get that pick-me-up before your evening. Like, this is how, how we do it. And so I was thinking, um, man, in this, this journey that I'm on, i got to figure out um, about this lie that I think I've believed maybe for a long time, um, that, that coffee dehydrates us. Have anybody ever heard of that? Like, I've heard that in my entire life, that coffee will dehydrate you. And um, so I started, as all good researchers do, and I went to the internet, and I looked at a bunch of different sites, and I found some really great studies, and I learned something really, really interesting. So the first thing that I learned is that I have a lot of liars in my life, okay? (laughs) A lot of liars, and I don't know what to do about that necessarily, but I learned that coffee doesn't dehydrate you. It doesn't. It actually hydrates you. And I know you can go look it up later, I promise, okay? So it's interesting because I was reading these studies and I was thinking to myself, man, I've believed that for a really long time though. And I thought to myself, man, I wonder what else I've believed for a really long time that wasn't true. You know? Like I wonder what else I've believed that I thought was fact, but in fact wasn't necessarily true. And maybe you're like, Sarah, how um, does that even apply to fixing your eyes and running your race and what we're talking about today? And um, I just really believe that there's a lot of people in this room who have believed the lie for a long time that for whatever reason you were disqualified from running. Whatever you've faced, whatever you've gone through in your past, you know, you've thought uh, there's got to be someone better There's got to be somebody more spiritual that can do this. You know, there's got to be someone bigger, faster, stronger. Surely there is somebody more qualified than me. And it is my goal that by the end of the message, we would not believe that lie any longer. So I want us to ask ourselves a question this morning. What could God do in and through me if I finally took my eyes off of my past, right, off of my fears, off of my limitations, what could God do, right? How could he move through me? If I would finally fix my eyes on Jesus and start seeing myself the way that he sees me, what could he do with that? And I really believe that there is no telling how God could use us, how God could work through us. So we're going to look at a story of Moses today. 
And I love, um, I love the Bible because it's full of a lot of people um, just like you and me. Um, I think we have kind of this preconceived idea that the Bible is full of a bunch of like level 10 spirituality kind of people, you know, who were doing like really crazy things and like, I'm never gonna be able to do that. You know what I mean? The people who just, who had it all together, who were qualified to be used by God. And what I've found um, is that the Bible is actually full of a lot of nobodies. That's what I think. I think it's full of a lot of nobodies that God made somebodies. And I really think that perfectly sums up um, the life of Moses. And so today I want us to learn from a very unlikely guy who was used so greatly by God. A man who had to shift his focus from his past and his fears and set it on a God who was calling him to so much more. And I am convinced that God is calling all of us to so much more. So if you grew up in church, um, like me perhaps, um, maybe you had parents who forced you to watch the Ten Commandments every Easter. Is there anybody else like that? A few people? Great. I'm not alone. Um, so what all of you were missing, and honestly the joke is on you, is you are missing the beautiful Charlton Heston, okay? This guy right here, who I think in 2019, guys would kill for this beard and hair, y'all. I'm telling you, they would, they would. So I know none of us have watched this movie recently, so I want to give us a little refresher on the life of Moses, who this guy was. So we're going to talk about him today, and I think it's really important that we know his story. You know what I mean? Like where he came from, what made him. So in uh, the life of Moses, um, we know that he was uh, a Hebrew boy, and uh, he was born in Egypt. Now, the problem is that he was born in a time um, when the Israelites were enslaved to Egypt, right? I mean, millions of them, like they were the workforce of Egypt. And the problem is that Moses was um, born in a time when, when Pharaoh was just hyper paranoid about um, how the Israelites' population was growing. Uh, Pharaoh thought they would eventually overthrow him, right? So Pharaoh's bright idea was, I want um, all of the Hebrew baby boys um, to be thrown in the Nile River. It's wild. Like Pharaoh was a really bad dude. Now Moses' mom, smart lady, thought, I want to get out ahead of this Pharaoh guy. Um, and so we kind of know part of this story, I think, where uh, Moses' mom puts uh, Moses in a basket and floats him down the river, right? Now this is when I think Moses' story gets very, like, juicy, lifetime movie-esque, you know? Because it's what's fascinating is that by the hand of God, Moses ends up where Pharaoh's daughter was bathing, like, how crazy. Of all places he could end up, he ends up at Pharaoh's daughter, right? And so what Pharaoh's daughter sees this, like, beautiful, sweet little Hebrew boy and takes him in and raises him as her own for the next 40 years, right? This, uh, this Moses guy get, kind of hits the jackpot almost, right? He gets to grow up in, like, the palace pretty much, like, this is a lifetime movie entirely. Moses gets to um, learn the Egyptian way. I mean, he gets to, to go through the Egyptian educational system, which is just the greatest in all of the land at this time. Right? So 40 years out, Moses starts working for Pharaoh. He's working on a job for him. 
And um, he comes across an Egyptian and Israelite who are fighting, right? So Moses goes and tries to kind of break it up and figure out what's going on. And, and he all of a sudden kind of has this like, man, I need to stand up for my people. I'm an Israelite. What Moses ends up doing, he ends up killing the Egyptian, murders the guy, digs a hole in the sand, buries him, covers him up, hopes nobody notices. And the next day, two Israelites begin fighting. Moses does the same thing, goes over and, and tries to break it up. And he's like, guys, what's going on? Why are we fighting? When the Israelite says, I don't, like, who are you to judge? I don't understand. Are you going to kill me like you did that Egyptian yesterday? Is that what you have planned? And that was the minute that Moses knew I've been found out. I've got to flee. I've got to get out of here. And Moses um, runs to the desert where he becomes a shepherd in the wilderness for the next 40 years. Right? Runs from his past, runs from his mistakes, decides to go to the desert, hang out with a bunch of sheep. Now, while he's out there, he has this experience, this burning bush kind of experience. And, and, he, and he has this conversation that ensues with God, right? And God basically says, hey, I want you to go actually back to Egypt and talk to Pharaoh, right? It's like, I just got away from this guy. You want me to go back there? I want you to go back there. And I want you to do the whole let my people go thing, right? We know that part of the story. And so what's so interesting to me is that God wants that guy, you know? He wants that guy to deliver the people of Israel out of the hands of Pharaoh. Moses, this terribly unlikely guy, the one who wasn't in the race, really. I mean, he was in the wilderness being a shepherd of sheep. And this is the guy that God calls. And this is the point in the story we're going to pick up today. And I, I really believe that we're going to find some simple ways that God called Moses out of fear and into faith and really back in this race. And man, I believe if that guy can do it, I think we can too. So we're gonna look at Exodus 3, 9 through 12. It says this. It says, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. This is God talking to Moses. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. Can you hear the fear in Moses' voice? You know what I mean? Like, can you picture what he was focusing his eyes on at that time when God says, you're the guy. You're the guy. I want you to go back to Pharaoh. And I love it because I picture God coming up to Moses and saying, just tagging him in, being like, I'm with you, man. Let's go. I need you to get started, though. I've got a lot of stuff planned for you, and I just need you to get started. Don't worry. I'm with you. And like Moses, God is saying, I want to use you, but I need you to get going, right, to get in this race. And I just need you to start where you are. That's it. Just need you to start where you are. And you know where Moses started. Man, he started right in the wilderness. He didn't start in a life group. <laughs> you know what I mean? He didn't start running uh, while he was running a ministry. Um, he didn't start at just like the peak of spirituality for him. He started right in the middle of the wilderness being a shepherd, right? Running from his past and maybe 
Maybe that's you today. Now, remember, God just told him, you're going to go back to Pharaoh. You're going to tell him to let my people go. And uh, I know all of that Moses is thinking, you know I killed a guy 40 years ago, right? Like, you know, you're all knowing. You have to know that. Are you sure? (laughs) You're really sure that you want someone like me? And I love it because um, there is such a beautiful picture of God's character in this. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Because when Moses said, who am I, right? Like, I'm just qualified from this. Like, who am I? I love it because God never responded saying, yeah, I know who you are. I know your past. I know what kind of garbage you've done. I love it. He doesn't, he doesn't respond to Moses like that. And what's amazing is God never validated Moses' shame, but he reminded him whose he was. Amazing, the character and love of God. I don't want you to miss the power in this because there's a lot of us who have discounted what God could do in and through us because of our past and our mistakes that we've made, but we've got to understand Today, what God was telling Moses then, he's saying to us, man, I am with you. You're mine. I'm with you. I don't care what you're fearing. My blood has covered that. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what your your past looks like. Man, nothing can separate you from my love, Moses. I'm with you. You're mine. And I think when we understand who is with us, it gives us a certain kind of confidence to do things we wouldn't otherwise do, you know? Like in junior high, um, I know you're not gonna believe this, but in junior high, I was a baller, you guys. I'm serious. I played a lot of basketball. My middle name is Jordan for a reason. I'm serious. It's my dad's fault. But I played a lot, I played a lot of basketball and I was playing city leagues and it was, you know, it was great. But, but I started playing in a select league, okay, where you have to like try out and it's terrifying and all that. But I remember getting on the team and uh, coming to the first practice and seeing um, a girl in the corner taking some jump shots. And you couldn't miss her. Um, she's about 6'1". Telling you, just the perfect athletic physique. You're like, this is the person you want on your team, you know? And when I found out that Ashley was on my team, I'm telling y'all, I ran down that court with a new kind of confidence, knowing like, these teams are in trouble. Y'all don't know we got Ashley, right? There's a new kind of confidence you have when you know who you're with, right? It gives you the confidence to do things that you wouldn't otherwise do. And I really believe if we're going to uh, fix our eyes on Jesus, right? The one who is with us and we're going to get back in this race. We've got to start where we are. Got to start where we are. It isn't more mysterious than that. Isn't any more mysterious than that. And I say that because I've been convinced that we have made loving God and living for him more difficult, more confusing, and more out of reach for everybody than it was ever intended to be. God's like, I want to use you. I just want you to start where you are. I've got stuff I want you to do. We got to get going, right? He just wants us to start where we are. So let's continue in this story of Moses. Exodus 4, 1 through 4. 
But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what's in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replies. Now, despite God's, I'm with you, Moses. Moses is still like, I don't know about this. I don't know what you're really asking me to do. I don't think you get it. Right? I mean, what if they don't even believe me? What if they don't believe you're the one who's called me to do this? And I love it because the Lord asks him, right? He doesn't even acknowledge that kind of rhetorical question Moses is giving. He just says, but what's in your hand, Moses? What's in your hand? And I think it's one of the most important questions that you and I can ask ourselves. What's in your hand? For Moses, he replies, a staff. And why did why did Moses have a staff? It's a shepherd, right? It's not like Harry Potter and this magical wand he had. Like it's, he was simply a shepherd, right? That's why he had a staff. It's very ordinary, very simple. And what I love is God took something and terribly ordinary and he was gonna do extraordinary things through it. I mean, God was gonna take that staff and do miracle after miracle after miracle, Right, that staff was, Moses was gonna like strike the Red Sea and it was gonna split. It was gonna part so him and all of the Israelites could escape slavery in Egypt. Right, not because Moses is great, but because God is amazing. Amazing. And I love this because it shows us that, man, God wants to use us and he wants to use whatever we've got. Whatever we've got. So we ask, man, what's in your hand, right? Because we have got to use whatever we have. God's like, if you could just take your eyes off your fears, Moses, just quit focusing all the limitations you feel like you've got, the past that you still struggle with, if you could just take your eyes off that and fix them on me and just use what's in your hand, Moses, there's no telling what we can do together. No telling, Because it might feel ordinary, but in my hands, Moses, man, I'm in the business of making something out of nothing. This is what I do. This is what I specialize in. So today I want to ask you, what's in your hand? Right? What's in your hand? What have you been given and how are you using it? I'm talking about your talents, your education, your freedom, your networks, your opportunities, um, your wealth, your ideas, your creativity. We've all been given something. So what are you doing with what you've been given? What's in your hand? I think there are a lot of us who would say, I mean, I don't feel like that special. You know, I'm not Harry Potter with this magical wand. I don't, I don't have any kind of edge. I don't have any kind of like specialty. Like I don't. What do I have to offer? What do I have to give? And I, I really disagree with that train of thought because I'm really convinced that everybody in this room has an awful lot to give, an awful lot to give. And man, in the hands of God, what can we do together? So I, I want to I prove this point to you, okay? So... I think there's probably a lot of people in this room um, who can just throw down in the kitchen, 
Okay, can you lift your hands so we know who you are? We can have lunch at your house today. Yeah, don't be humble. Show yourself. There are people in here who can just throw down in the kitchen. And maybe you're like, well, yeah, I mean, we got to eat. You know what I mean? Like, I got to cook. Our family has to eat. And sometimes I have people over. And, but, I mean, I love to cook, but I don't know what God can really do with that. Like, that's not really that exciting. I don't know what I have to offer with that. And I love it because what I picture God doing is being over there and saying, I can work with this. I can work with this. Because you might have somebody come into your life who is going through one of the heaviest, darkest seasons they've ever faced. They might not even have the strength to get out of bed and make their family a meal. And you're going to show up with a hot plate of lasagna And they are going to be reminded that they are seen, loved, and cared for by God. God's saying, I can work with this, man. We can do this together. Maybe there's some of you in here who like to run. God bless you. (laughs) For whatever reason you do that, it's great though. Um, You like to run and you're like, yeah, I like to see you get exercise and that kind of thing. That's nothing special. It's not like a superpower, right? Like, <laughs> to me it is, honestly, but maybe you're not thinking that. Um, you're just like, what, what can God do with that? And I love it because I picture God saying, I can work with this. I can do something with this. Because there are people who will never step foot into the building, never step foot into a church, but they'll run with you at a park. You know, they'll run with you at a park and they'll get to experience the love and community of Christ outside of these four walls. God says, I can work with a pair of tennis shoes. We can do this together. Maybe there's some of you who are just level 10 hospitality. You got Southern hospitality down to a T, right? You love to do it. You love to host people. You love to have people come over right? Share a meal, hang out around the table. You love that stuff. Maybe you're like, what's the big deal though? I like to host people. It's kind of what I do at this point. You know, what can I do with that? What can God do with that? And I love it because I picture God going, hey, we can work with this. We can work with this. Because you could lead a life group. You could host one at your home. You could create a very warm, inviting, accepting space for people to connect with one another and experience me in a way that they never have before outside of these four walls. You could do that. I could work with that. And can I just address something really quickly? Because I think when we, when we talk about leading a life group, right, when we challenge you from stage to just get plugged in, take this next step, start leading a group or hosting one. I think there are a lot of people who kind of have these thoughts come in their mind immediately. And maybe you think, um, my house is not nice enough to have people over. Like, God, to keep it clean. I don't, mm -mm, we don't need to do this. Or maybe you think, I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. Like, I didn't go to Bible college or seminary. Like, you really think I'm going to lead people? How am I going to do that? And I really believe that that's a lie you've believed for a long time. And I want to tell you the truth. Because the truth is, 
It does not take a Bible scholar who lives in a mansion to love people well. It doesn't. We've overcomplicated this thing to death. It does not take that to love people well. You know what it takes? It takes two ears that listen to people's stories. It takes a mouth to encourage them. And it takes a heart to love them. That's it. It's as easy as that. If you got that, you're qualified. And I'm telling you, in the hands of God, the stuff that feels terribly insignificant and really ordinary, man, in the hands of God, it can become extraordinary. I believe it. I believe God wants to do so much in and through us. If we could just fix our eyes on Jesus, right? And we could begin to see ourselves the way he does, right? If we could see what's in our hands, the potential, the purpose, the plans that God has for it, man, what could we do together? We've got to use what we have because it's exactly what God uses. We've got to start where we are, use what we have. Let's keep going with the story. Exodus 4, 10 through 13. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. Here he is complaining again. I never have been and I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what to say. This is Moses going back again, being like, God, I'm not your guy. How many times do I have to tell you? I'm not the guy for this. Like, I'm, I get tongue-tied, I get nervous, and you want me to go talk to Pharaoh? Are you serious? Not to mention, like, that guy I killed. Like, you still want to pick me. You still want to choose me. This is your plan. And God's like, are you serious? Don't you think I'm the one who's in control? I need you to run. I've got stuff for you to do. Why are you still focused on you? Go and do what you can because I'm not asking you to do it alone, Moses. I just need you to do what you can. If we're going to shift our focus and fix them on Jesus and get in this race, we have got to simply do what we can. I'm going to fill the gaps, God says. Did you miss that? Um, In verse 13, he says, now go, I will be with you as you speak. I will instruct you in what to say. You just do what you can and I will meet you there. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to be perfect to be used by me because I'm with you. I just need you to do what you can. Mother Teresa says it this way. She says, if you can't feed a hundred people, just feed one. Just feed one. Just do what you can. So I believe God wants to work in and through you. I'm convinced, convinced of this. And I believe that we can all start today to live a life that is about the things that God's about. But I believe we simply have to start where we are, use what we have and do what we can. And man, as we saw in the life of Moses, this race was never promised to be easy, never. 
but some of the most amazing things in life never are. But like Moses, oftentimes it takes walking through fear to get to faith. And man, I believe faith that is tested (laughs) wields some of the strongest bonds we could ever experience. And there's so much more to Moses' story that we didn't even get to cover. Right? I mean, God continued to do incredible things through him. Like Moses is the guy who got the Ten Commandments. That guy. (laughs) Moses was the guy that God gave the the plans for the Ark of the Covenant, right? Where, Where God's actual presence resided then. Moses was the guy that God empowered to face one of his greatest fears, Pharaoh, and lead the Israelites out of slavery. That guy. And you know how he did it? Scripture tells us in Hebrews eleven twenty seven, it says, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he went right on because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. He kept his eyes fixed on Jesus and finally saw the kind of man God destined him to be. Moses, this very unlikely, ordinary, fearful murderer God used to change history. Because he took his eyes off of his fears, his limitations, and he kept them focused on the one who was invisible. And my prayer for you today is that we would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the one who is committed, committed to transforming us into his likeness. The one who is committed to continue the work that he started in us. The one who is committed to being with us every step of the way. Today, my prayer for you is that no matter how long you have believed a lie about yourself and your future. Because of a guy like Moses, you would believe today that nobody is too broken. Nobody. Nobody's fear is too big. And nobody's past is too messy. But you can't decide today to start running again. He's with us. He wants to use us. And it isn't any more complicated than that. Can we pray together? God, thank you. Thank you so much for your word. God, we're so grateful that you would pick people like us to live through and work through. God, and I pray for for those who have felt disqualified because of fear or maybe some limitations they've experienced or a past that they have. And I pray that because of your word today, they would remember that you qualified them on the cross. And it has nothing to do with how good and great we are because nothing Nothing can separate us from your love. And today, God, I pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on you. God, to live our lives in a way that would be about the things you are about, God. We wanna tag in, we want in this race. God, we know you have plans and purposes for each one of us. God, help us to see what's in our hands.
Help us to see what's ours to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more messages and information about Creekwood Church, visit us at creekwoodchurch.com.